Hey everybody, welcome back to Garden State of Hockey. It's been a very roller coastery week of Devils games, and as you know, our earlier episode usually just does recaps of uh, the week's games from the week before. Uh, but there's something a little bit important that happened to the New Jersey Devils this week, so we'll get to that at the tail end of this discussion. But before all of that starts, just wanted to introduce again my co-host John Fisher. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. It was a week of hockey yeah and it was so we kind of left off last episode feeling a little bit optimistic because the devils just got some good wins against boston the islanders what have you and then in between you know our monday episode and the weekend or the one we recorded monday or wednesday episode and the weekend episode they went out and played against two the two new york teams opposite them the new york rangers and the new york islanders and so Again, if you want to keep a win streak going, you got to be teams that aren't in the playoff picture, and they were not able to do that against the Rangers in an effort that was truly pitiful, as Tony D'Angelo put five points on the board against New Jersey. And for a second there, you had to think, oh boy, here we go again. Things are bad. Um, but not before they had another good showing against the Islanders, but weren't able to come away with a win. Let's talk about the Islanders games first because mm -hmm. that's not, that's going to make me the least unhappy. Okay. So on Tuesday – now the previous week, the Devils pretty much won a close game in Nassau County against the Islanders. They won 2-1. So this was the run back. This was the revenge game. And it appeared that the Islanders were up for revenge. Uh, Damon Severson had a very poor game. <laughs> he helped some of the goals <laughs> against <laughs> the Devils tonight. Or in that game, rather. He unfortunately had the game-equalizing goal go off his leg. That was more of an accident. But uh, the, the game had more offense. The Devils responded to each of the Islanders' first two goals. Uh, P.K. Subban got another goal. That's always good to see. It even got Ben Street, who was called up, uh, his first secondary assist with the Devils. Mm -hmm. His first point as a New Jersey Devil. Nico Heischer continued to flex on his opponents with a late second period goal to tie it up going into the third period. And Kyle Palmieri scored a little bit past halfway the third period, a power play goal. It was recently announced at the time that he was going to go to the all-star game. And that was the type of goal that you would like to see from an all-star. And then the aforementioned uh, bounce off Severson's leg goes in and the game goes to overtime and overtime was a lot of back and forth where the devils had plenty of opportunities to put the game away. They couldn't finish the plays. The Islanders got one last chance, and Anders Lee did finish it, and so they lost 4-3 in overtime. By the way, Dan, guess what the Devils were wearing that night? Oh, see, this is the point I was about to bring up, because, you know, the Islanders, yeah, they had their share of opportunities. The Devils did not have any shortage of opportunities in that game either. It did truly no. feel like a coin toss in this game, but the overwhelming factor that always brings coin tosses the other ways are these cursed devil's jerseys from the 1980s that i ah oh, they look so good but they just bring such awful awful vibes i can't stand it every time they're wearing those things it's almost like they're walking into a guaranteed loss it's like a jersey retirement night anti-curse well you know i don't know the exact record but i know for sure it's a losing record it's with those jerseys Oh, good. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Oh, six and one. This this oh, overtime yeah. loss was the first time they actually made it out of regulation wearing these things. 
Oh, good. I, I, that makes me feel not good at all. Uh-huh. Um, as a hockey blogger, I'm I'm clearly an expert on fashion, and I'm not a big fan of the old 80s looks. And more importantly than that, why in the world would you want to honor the worst era of Devils hockey instead of the one that, you know, won Stanley Cups and made the team, you know, the dominant force that uh, we all fell in love with when we were younger? Well, because if a team refuses to introduce a third jersey or some – and, you know, they're not someone that needs a rebrand. Like, the logo no, is fantastic. The designs no. are beautiful. But, if, you know, the black jersey, what's the worst that could happen if you introduce an all-black jersey? But given that they haven't done that, to harken back to those eras, they'd basically have to be wearing those same uniforms. And clearly that hasn't worked the last five years either. No, not in the least. You know what also didn't work in that game, Dan? What's that? Defense. Yes. And that's on both sides because both teams combined for 76 shots on net. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> you know, for all the talk about, we know the Devils defense has been suspect all season long. Um, where, where, in the two games between the Devils and the Islanders, I have not seen this well-structured, well-coached Islanders team I've been hearing about in terms of an explanation of why they're a playoff team at this moment. Mm-hmm. This game had no structure. It was basically back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, played at 75 miles an hour. But, you know, the Devils came out on the wrong end of it. At least they got the point out of it. And it was much better than the other game against a New York City team. And now this other one wasn't necessarily as bad because they were pretty back and forth. And again, this game where defense was optional against the Rangers, at one point this game was fourth or 3-3. And then yep. the wheels fell off. And again, I have to reiterate that Tony D'Angelo, a defenseman, scored a yep. hat trick and got five points against the Devils this yep. game. They did zero, zero things right in terms of tracking him and where the puck was in their own zone and deservedly they got a loss in this game absolutely it actually exposed one of the systemic weaknesses of the new jersey devils if you notice when they're pinned back in their own end or they're intentionally trying to defend their own end in five on five play or even strength play if you want to throw four and four in there they do not cover the point men maybe once in a while you'll see somebody chase them but it's usually you know it it quote the doobie brothers it's what a fool believes in terms of trying to get a stop there it's just not working and it was remarkable to me that the devils did not adjust you would think after point number three you would say because he had three points in the first period like you had an intermission to talk this out and go hey guys 77 in blue is uh, killing us right now maybe we should stick a body on him at least get in his way nope they Gave him all sorts of space, just like they gave a lot of other defensemen lots of space against other opponents. And as a result, guys like Tony D'Angelo or John Carlson or Victor Hedman or Aaron Ekblad and so on and so forth, they can have a field day if they're feeling it. And, oh, he was feeling it. Yes. Well, this thing, I just want, like, one more on the topic of this specific coverage. This is something that came up when the Devils were on national TV and their win against the Islanders. We had the Islanders broadcast team essentially do it on NBCSN, where it was uh, AJ Mletzko, I think is how you pronounce her last name, and Brendan Burke, and Pierre Maguire even. They're all saying the same exact thing of they've got to get better at covering those defensemen in the back. They're not really making an effort to cover those wide point shots, and those could take any number of bounces and go in, but I just wanted to point out that it's something that even the national broadcasts have caught, this specific and exact uh, concept that you're mentioning defensively. Yeah. Now, again, to your point, Dan, there was not a lot of defense in this game. Both teams combined for a remarkable, if I'm counting this correctly here, 86 shots on net. The Devils nearly had 50 
on mm-hmm. Igor Shesterkin. And to Shesterkin's credit, he played very well. The Devils gave him all the opportunities, lots of different looks, lots of different op- scoring chances and uh, opportunities. But, uh, you know, they only beat him three times, and the Devils did not have an answer for uh, Tony D and the crew. It sucks because it wipes away Kevin Rooney's first goal of the season, a shorthanded goal where he just kind of piled it in. Blake Coleman scoring a goal, and the Devils getting a very fortunate break with the puck just going over the line with the net being dislodged. That was credited to Severson. It was originally Coleman's goal. That was your third goal, by the way. Mm-hmm. So the Devils, unfortunately, let all that slip. They did try their best to try to get back in it, but the hole was too deep. The damage was already done, and so the Devils took another L against our hated rivals, and it made me sad, it made you sad, and it made the people who matter sad. Yeah. And, and that's not right. We all, you know, went to bed that night pretty sad. We're upset whenever there's a loss to the Rangers. But looking ahead, there was a potential for a lot of sadness as they went oh, into yeah. the weekend back-to-back going against – let me lay out the situation in full yeah, here. lay it on us, Dan. We have uh, an injured Mackenzie Blackwood at the end of the Ranger game. And our schedule dictates that it is Washington – followed by Tampa Bay. Now, Washington was in Washington as well before seeing Tampa at home, who the night before uh, the Devils played them, extended their win streak overall to 10 games. Now, there is not a soul in this world that thought the Devils would take all four points from that back-to-back, and they did exactly that on a miracle two performances by Louis Domingue, and really just like a total... I don't know if it was a team shutdown effort. I mean, they, other teams still had their chances and generally ran the play, but the Devils were very opportunistic. They found good ways to score. They managed to really not let the game tempo get too far out of hand. And all of a sudden, in his last three games, Louis Domingue has made 70 saves on 73 shots. And we're talking about beating the best team in the NHL by points and arguably, in a lot of people's mind, the best team talent-wise in the NHL who was coming off of a 10-game win streak. So nothing makes sense anymore. And the weirdest thing that happened between those two games is something that we'll touch on later that everyone, I'm sure, knows about. But let's talk about the games first specifically. Mm -hmm. Like, how did they do this? How did they pull off this challenging, extremely challenging back-to-back? And what are the implications of this? Okay, so we have to look at both games separately because... Just like in real life, Dan, it takes two to tango. Uh-huh. It takes two people to dance. And part of the reason why the Devils prevailed in these games is because the other team failed to succeed. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Washington, Washington went into this game. Their power play was sagging. They were coming off a loss. They had a couple days off between these games. So um, they were a little more well-rested than the Devils. Of course, they were also at home. And also they have a massive talent advantage, you know, between Ovechkin, Backstrom, Vrana, Kuznetsov, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Norris winner. Yeah, John Carlson, the mm-hmm. aforementioned John Carlson. You know, after T- Tony D'Angelo lit up the Devils, you know, you're thinking, oh, great, John Carlson's going to drop a seven spot now. Yeah. Uh, no, the Capitals, for whatever reason, just – had one of those really off games. Like these guys were missing the net a lot. They, they've hit Louis Domingue with 34 shots on net. And the only one that they got in was off a net mouth scramble, which was just a really broken play where, you know, it's a power play. The devils were outnumbered to begin with. And they just, Vrana just found a loose puck and just stashed it in. Uh, but Holt, you know, they were just missing on golden opportunities. Like they had empty sides of the net and guys would just whiff on the shot or just send the puck two feet wide or two feet too high. Like, they were just not on their game, Dan. Mm-hmm. Like, 
this was the op this was like a Washington team that seemed like really frustrated and you know they 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 had five power plays the devils again you know they gave up one power play goal but on that same power play a, a high stick double minor to miles wood because of course he did and yes it was an offensive zone penalty cuz it's miles wood the devils scored a shorthanded goal in the beginning of it yep. and they nearly had a second one from from Blake Coleman from Blake, an identical play too Blake, Blake Coleman could have outscored the Washington power play <laughs> on the same situation like the devils Nico Heischer scored a great goal to start the game. Gusev finished a rebound because the Devils were knocking on the door in that first period. That's the other aspect, Dan, is that Braden Holpe was in net, and he was not having a good night at all. Mm -hmm. He was very loose in net. Um, I can understand, you know, the last time the Devils played Washington, they had Ilya Samsonov. I wouldn't be surprised if Samsonov does to uh, Holtby what Kincaid slash Blackwood did to Schneider. I'm just throwing that out there before you start telling me the Devils need to sign Holtby. Mm -hmm. Uh because Sansonov isn't playing great. Holpe has not had a good season. You know, Gusev puts in a rebound, and then Coleman scores that shorthand goal with a wonderful individual effort that made Holpe look like a, sh uh, well, like a chump. And, uh, you know, yeah, Verona gets his PPG, but it's it's 3-1 at this point. And yes, the Washington Capitals earlier in the week made up a ridiculous uh, difference. But then a couple minutes later, Nico Heischer hammers a one-timer coming off the bench from Kyle Palmieri. It's 4-1. Yes, Washington throws everything in the kitchen sink in the third period, but the Devils, you know, they work their tails off just cleaning up all these rebounds from Domingue, winning lots of lot more puck battles than they normally do. They were still not good at covering the points and getting caught on their weak side, but the difference was that the Devils were able to get in the Capitals' head a little bit, frustrate them. Domingue was great, and then Miles Wood scored an empty net goal with about a little less than five minutes left, and, you know, the Capitals made up a two-goal difference uh, with six men, but they weren't going to make up a four-goal difference, and they didn't. So mm -hmm. so you have Washington. Their shooting was terrible, despite their volume. They had Their best players were not having good nights. Holtby was bad, and the Devils just took advantage early and never looked back. Mm -hmm. So let's, it, let's. It was a spirited effort. Well, let's do this chronologically then, because let's, let's just uh, convey how the feelings developed over the course of the day because that you look at that game and you're like, wow, five, one against the, at the time league leading Washington capitals. That feels pretty good after a couple of pretty good games the week before beating Boston, beating the Islanders, and then, you know, taking three out of four possible points against the Islanders really. But you're feeling like everything's okay. Things are kind of leveling out. They're showing some fight, which is going to make the rest of the season, not unbearable to watch. And then at five 30, the afternoon or evening right before they have a game against Tampa coming in off a 10-game win streak, after their best win of the season, I want to reiterate, they fired GM Ray Shiro. They Not fired, I guess. They mutually decided to part ways, but there was obviously, was yeah, there's obviously <laughs> a disagreement of opinion um, on one side or another that led to his dismissal. And suddenly the Devils are this weird rudderless ship with an interim coach, an interim GM, with a team that is facing injury trouble. I want to point out also a lot of these good results came either without Jack Hughes or this Tampa Bay win featured no Kyle Palmieri, the Devils all-star. He got yeah. banged up in the game against uh, Washington. And you're looking at this and you're like, how did they go from no GM to winning against a team that was on a 10-game win streak, and suddenly this goalie that they had acquired mid-season as kind of a stopgap to just give anyone else minutes while Blackwood got his needed recovery, 
suddenly this guy's backstopping them to holding two of the best teams in the league to one goal at a time. And they went out there and they beat Tampa Bay three to one with another late empty netter by Miles Wood, who seems to be raising his trade stock. But now that the GM's gone, is anything really the same as it was before? What are these conversations going to look like now? Well, we'll talk about the GM thing in a little bit, but let's talk about the game first. So this one was a bit different than the Washington game in that Tampa Bay had a much more controlled. They had a lot more control of the game in five on five. Let's just be real. Mm -hmm. And even though, but the difference is that one, the Devils were a lot more disciplined, which is good because Tampa Bay's power play, unlike Washington, is not cold. It is frighteningly good. And the Devils uh, survived two two of them. Uh, The Devils, unfortunately, they did not get much of their power play. in terms of success, but they did generate 10 shots, which is normally good for this power play. Um, the shots in this game were only 27 to 20 in favor of Tampa Bay. So even though Tampa Bay definitely controlled the run of play, they were just not hitting their mark. They actually were credited for 20 missed shots because, again, Louis Domingue used to be a Tampa Bay Lightning goaltender. He won a ton of games with them last season uh, when Andre Vasilevsky wasn't available. So he was a big part of that season. And I think we can assume that the Lightning players kind of have an idea on how to beat Domingue. You know, they're familiar with what he is and isn't good at. And I guess they decided that they were just going to keep shooting high all night long. Mm -hmm. And as a result, um, even though they didn't have any glorious misses like Washington did, there were a lot of uh, situations where if they were able to keep their shots three feet lower, maybe they would have had a chance to score a goal Mm -hmm. instead of just, you know, hitting the glass like they're Brian Ralston. Um, Even so, the Lightning were able to get up early in the second period a – Clearance was denied by Victor Hedman, had been found Tyler Johnson all alone in front, and he beats uh, Domingue. But that was it. That was the only time Domingue was beat. He was utterly fantastic on all the other shots, including two breakaways, uh, from one from Kucherov and one from Stamkos, two of the best players that you really hope do you don't want to see a breakaway from, but they did it. The Devils managed to come back from this, first with Andy Green's first goal of the season, firing a slap shot through a Wayne Simmons screen, and then late, just before halfway through the second period, Travis Zajac redirects a Nikita Gusev shot from the center point right at the blue line. You know, Curtis McElhaney had no chance at either. Uh, Gusev had a br- beautiful goal taken off the board because of quote-unquote goaltender interference uh, in the third period. And that was the stunning thing, Dan, is that the Devils not only went up to one and even though Tampa Bay was controlling more of the play. They weren't really swarming the Devils in their own end like Washington was in the third period. The Devils did pick their spot, so to speak. And, you know, Gusev's goal didn't count. But the very last second, Miles Wood puts in an empty netter after the Devils did an excellent job holding the uh, extra man Tampa Bay back, despite Blake Coleman getting mugged twice, once into the net and once, uh, you know, a really cruel cross check from Hedman from behind. Mm -hmm. You know, the Devils, you know, you know, earned their uh, ice packs and their, uh, you know, those cold packs and icy hots and whatever you use to ease your bumps and bruises because they took a lot of lumps in that game. Uh, but they just put in another spirited performance. Domingue played out of his mind again, and the Devils were able to, you know, get a very respectable and well cheered win in their last next to last home game of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's stunning because. That Tampa Bay team, it didn't look anything like the Washington game where in Washington you looked at them and you're like, okay, something's clearly off. It's not their night. Like Tampa Bay looked pretty threatening when they got going. Uh, it was really up to Domingue and um, some crucial interventions at times for the Devils to uh, not get destroyed and become the latest victims of the Lightning. Mm-hmm. 
and it's just so impressive that it did get a lot of people's attention because everyone who I know is a fan of the other team is like, what's happening? Like, how are they winning these games? I don't understand how they fire their coach, get rid of their best player, and then fire their GM between arguably two their two best wins of the season and somehow managed to pull both off. I just, it's so strange. And yeah. they have, you know, we looked at this stretch and we're like, wow, this might be brutal. But then they have the Maple Leafs, Capitals, and Jackets. Listen, I'm starting to get a little bit of belief here in that they can compete mm. with some of these teams now. Not necessarily compete for a spot, but at the very least make the game tougher on their opponents for, yeah. for one reason or another. And we'll go into kind of what the overreaching implications are for the GM role on our weekend episode, just because that feels more appropriate there. But I did want to give a, you know, a little bit of due for Ray Shiro because a lot of what he did could be interpreted as shrewd GM moves. And a lot of what happened, yeah. it's hard to determine if it was truly a bad move on his part or just, it didn't pan out for whatever reason. Like, I don't think at the time that the move was made, the Marcus Johansson trade was a bad one. I don't think, you know, P.K. Subban was a worthy risk. Wayne Simmons, a fine, you know, low risk, potentially high reward signing. But it's the fact that so many of these things went wrong simultaneously that the results just never came for him. And after, you know, being in his fifth year, the managing partners decided, listen, we want to start winning here and they're going to do a full search in the summer now for coach and GM. So it's a big, big, important task, but at least whoever's inheriting the team next gets a young squad instead of the aging carcass of a squad that's been patched over with, you know, stopgap free agents like um, like Marty Havlat. Well, it is true that Shero is leaving the team better than he found it. However, we cannot say that he did not deserve the fight firing just for the reasons that you mentioned is that, you know, you had Taylor Hall's best season ever. You had... You know, you, you put the roster the way you saw fit. You He literally cleaned house, and not just in terms of the roster, the players, but he also cleaned house with the coaches. He cleaned house with the scouts. He cleaned house with analysts. Even the equipment manager was changed. Like, from nearly top to bottom, this was Ray Shero's organization, as Ray Shero saw fit. And as you said, Dan, at the time these mo- a lot of these moves were made, I, I, and you can go to allaboutthejersey.com, you can check the receipts, so to speak, and you will see that I liked a lot of these moves. I thought they were good moves at the time. But as you said, the results never panned out, and this is a results-oriented business. It is incredibly weird that the Devils man- uh, owners, uh, Josh Harris and Dave Blitzer and the rest of the rest of the group, have decided to make this call now, mm-hmm. which makes me want, which makes me wonder what ha- what has been happening recently. Because if the thinking was that Ray Shara was no longer their guy, like they lost faith in him, why would you ever let him make that Taylor Hall trade, mm-hmm. or why would you ever let him make any other moves? Like you should have just let this guy go the moment you thought this wasn't good enough. So it makes me wonder if there was a big disagreement, like maybe somebody else was about to be traded, or better yet, maybe somebody Shara didn't want to trade. That ownership wants to trade. We're not going to know the full story, but it's very weird. And even today, like we're finding out more bits and uh, pieces about the whole thing. Like apparently, according to Elliot Friedman and the Devil's Insiders, uh, their podcast, they tweeted this out. Apparently, Cheryl was given a four-year extension last season. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't add up. Like, first of all, why would you give a guy an extension after last season of all things? And second... Why four years and then less than a less than a you know less than a season later it's no we're gonna dump you two hours before a hockey game. 
Yeah, like, it doesn't add up here. Like, there's got to be some some falling apart must have happened, or you know, a proverbial final straw broke the camel's back. But it is very weird. Um, it's just it was it, it's surprising, and in a way, it still is kind of surprising. Yeah. I can't say it wasn't earned, but it's surprising. It is surprising, but you're right. It's mostly surprising because of the timing, and it, it seems like there was just a philosophical disagreement about what the direction of the team should have been. And my biggest worry is that the owners saw these last couple of wins against uh, pretty good teams and thought, okay, maybe we're not as far off as we thought, but there's a lot of work still to be done. Like, you know anyone who can look around the league and looks at this team's results from October to December can acknowledge that. However, uh, my worry is that they may have acted on that instead of letting Shiro trade away the remaining assets. Or if he was planning to trade them, they didn't like the returns they had seen the first couple of times he had traded away rental players, even though they seem pretty in line with what the rental market commands. Yeah, exactly. And this, this is kind of the other awkward part of all this, Dan, is that we're less we're about six weeks away from the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to ask me, let's say this past Saturday, for example, because we discussed this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for the Saturday show, you know, you know, what are the devils going to do? And I said, oh, they're going to sell. Now I'm not so sure because the weird press conference that Josh Harris gave, which he clearly was not prepared for. Which, which just makes this whole firing thing even weirder. Like, it's almost as if something bad happened that morning and Harris just said, enough, get out of here. Because mm-hmm. um, he was not prepared for that press conference, not yeah. at all. And, may, and maybe, maybe you know, that's – or maybe that's just Josh Harris. He may not be a media guy, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why we don't see him that often, and we just learned why. Uh, more seriously, though, it begs the – the edict that I got out of that press con- presser was that he wants results, like sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get that for 2021 if you start just selling off everybody now. Mm -hmm. So even though I think everybody's kind of at risk, and to your point, maybe Shero's offerings or statements about what he could get in return or what he thinks he could get in return was not satisfactory. So maybe, maybe the decision is, well, you know what, let's just keep the guys and figure it out from there. So we might see some selling. We might not. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen in the next six weeks? Tom Fitzgerald, I don't know what Mr. Harris told you in private, but you dang well better follow it if you wanted this, if you want this GM job. Yeah. And it, it, it's a good thing that he's one of the people that uh, teams with GM vacancies have been frequently reaching out to to interview. Oh, yeah. uh, just yeah. because it does show a little bit of his pedigree and that, they have someone in the role at least guiding them through the rest of this season. I'm guessing they won't be able to conclude any sort of search before that, but they have at least someone guiding them through what feels like the rest of the season, a very important trade deadline that is someone that's sought after by other organizations. That's as good an indicator to me as any that, uh, you know, they're at the very least, he has a good pulse on both the farm team and the, and the, big club as well just because he was the gm specifically of the binghamton devils who by the way have won seven straight games yeah binghamton has started to turn it around and in fact Corey schneider was a big part of that until he got called up for this tampa bay game which made the whole tampa bay game even weirder because when i saw he was called up i I just assumed well he's going to get this game Mm -hmm. instead they decided to play domingue back to back which of course turned out to be the absolutely correct decision since he played out of his mind in both games because of course nothing makes sense anymore yeah everything's Uh, upside down and yeah but getting back to fitzgerald yep 
is that you know the main the main benefit of keeping him around would be to keep a level of continuity. I imagine if you're working in hockey operations, whether or not you're a player, a coach, a scout, uh, an analyst, uh, someone who does equipment, etc., you're suddenly now concerned about your future mm-hmm. because who knows if the next GM is going to want to keep you around. I'm sure the GM has their own preferred personnel. I mean, that's just how how it works. It's same same with business. You know, if Vox Media decides to um, you know, can't, you know, can certain people, you know, it's going to beg the question of, well, what about the future of us? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just natural to think that. So with Fitzgerald, that would ease some of those concerns because at least you could look at a lot of these other people and go, I know you're good. I know you're good. I know you're good. So you're all staying. Don't mm-hmm. worry. Um, well, that's that the be- thing about Shiro, right? Like he, like Lou, very much put his personal stamp on the organization. That's, well, that's but why. But every team does that. Yeah. No, no, for sure. But it, it's that he did set up this structure almost entirely based around him and didn't retain much of the old guard except for this year even hiring Brodeur back to do business development yeah exactly but to, to in a way that's almost Fitzgerald's biggest flaw is the fact that he represents continuity so if mm-hmm. Harris was serious about wanting to go in a new direction then the last thing you want is a guy representative of the previous direction to stay there because what is he going to probably give you more of the same direction you just got rid of yep so unless Fitzgerald convinced him, and it's possible because, as he said, he's been up for other GM jobs. I'm sure he has his own uh, idea on and his own philosophy on how he wants to run a team. He nearly got the Minnesota job. He was a finalist for that position before Paul Fenton took it. Mm-hmm. Or he was hired, rather. He didn't just take it. So, you know, it, it, it would be understandable. But at the same time, I, could, I, I don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to be Fitzgerald. So we get to go into the great unknown of who, who do you go out and get? And that's probably a better discussion for the next, uh, Saturday show, if only because I'm not super sure who's going to be available right now. Yeah, and it I might mean, not be someone that everyone thinks of right away. It might no. not be someone with that experience. It might be a hire that looks more like John Chaker or Kyle Dubas. It, yeah, or it could be some assistant GM for a team that nobody expected would be available. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we know about other GMs, and that's sort of why a lot of GMs get rehired, just like the same way head coaches do. Because... Yes, they may have failed at one place, but they at least come in with an understanding of what to expect. There's stability. You know that they're just not going to come in here and just turn everything upside down and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Like they'll have a measure of an idea of what they're going to do. So there's some, uh, for lack of a better word, expectation on what you can expect. And hey, maybe it works in another organization where it didn't work in a previous one for reasons A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. So. That's usually why you're going to start seeing names thrown out by fans like Mike Gillis or Ron Hextall or, you know, God forbid, like Peter Chiarelli, which I would no. never. <laughs> that's a that big old no sick. for me. Yeah, that's a big old, that should be a big old no for anybody. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, you, to your point, Dan, the Devils, their last GM that they hired outside of the proverbial box turned out to be a legend of the game. So, you know they may might as well want to consider that route and consider some non-traditional options, whether that's Eric Tulski, the anal, the analytics uh, VP in uh, Carolina, whether or not you want to really take a really bold chance, uh, promote somebody else within that maybe wasn't an assistant GM or a VP of uh, business operations. Maybe you want to go look at someone in the college or European uh, organizations and see if somebody is up for uh, a big challenge. Cause the, the good news is at least they'll have Nico, Heischer, Mackenzie, Blackwood, and Jack Hughes to build around. Mm-hmm. 
the only problem is just, you know, everybody else, <laughs> you're going to have to figure out what works, what doesn't and make improvements. And of course do it ASAP PDQ. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this is no pressure, <laughs> no pressure at all. But the lucky thing is that they're right up against the cusp of the all-star break in the bye week. So I want to close this off just by taking a quick look ahead um, before the break here, as they, like I said, they are on a three-game road trip. They're going to be in Toronto. That is going to be tomorrow at time of recording. That's Tuesday. In Washington on Thursday to face them again. And you can you can bet they're going to want some revenge after how the first game Oh, went. yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I expected an angry Caps team. Yeah, the defense on uh, Toronto has hit some really bad injuries. And most recently, Morgan Riley, their top defender, uh, has a fractured foot. So you're not going to see him tomorrow. You can very Jake well see Luzzin. it. Yeah, exactly. So... There may not be a lot of defense in that game either. So, you know, you know, tune in and uh, don't blink. You might miss uh, three goals. And, and naturally, uh, yeah, that... this all ends with a contest against Columbus in what uh, has, again, been a house of horrors for the Devils in recent years. Did you know that the Devils last won any game against Columbus in Columbus in 2017? The problem is, is because they're a divisional opponent, the Devils have played them eight times since then and lost all of them. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to that game, mainly because it just goes the same way every single time. They'll give up a goal within 30 seconds, be close for like the next period and a half, and then eventually just give up another one and give up the game. That's usually how these things go. And given that Columbus is knocking on the door of the wild card spot in the East, they're going to have something to play for. Yeah, and they've been on a crazy run too. But who they're going to have something. To, they're, they're, the Devils aren't just going to play a team they've had struggles with for the past two seasons. They're going to play a team who has motivation to win that game. Yeah. Yay! I don't love it. I don't love everything associated no. with that. But again, we didn't love this schedule coming into it anyway, and they've done pretty well for themselves. They've really shown some fights. So hopefully, yeah. they can do that. And a big side mission of performing well the rest of the season is to convince someone that this job is worth taking on to convince someone you know it's a desirable job just because it inherently is one of only 31 nhl general manager jobs however you have to convince one of the big names that yeah i want to work with this team i want to see what they've got i want to see if they have some fight and that's what the rest of the season to me at least is going to be for and not just for the GM position, but also the coaching position, any other personnel positions. And, oh, yeah, players, you know, that whole free agency thing could uh, become a big deal in uh, 2020. So there's a lot of incentive to go out there and put your best foot forward, uh, much to the chagrin of the fans and followers of Sherman Abrams. The Devils really should try to be competitive in these three games coming up and in the rest of the way through a very busy February and March schedule. Mm -hmm. All right. So, yeah, that'll bring us to at the very least the all-star break we'll see if palmary is healthy enough to go and if not i'm guessing he'll be replaced immediately by heisher but who am i to know uh you know it doesn't really matter the most important is important part is can they get a couple of points in these next three uh, pretty tough games against some very good and very consistent and hot opponents right now that all remains to be seen, but it's getting crazy in Devil's World, and thank you for being along with us on the ride. So we'll catch you guys on the weekend show for more games and kind of wider spread discussion about, you know, the GM position, anything that happened uh, off ice and could still happen, given that who had any idea that Ray Shiro would be let go this weekend between games? Wins, nonetheless. Between wins, yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's been our time yep. on Garden State of Hockey. We'll catch you guys 
uh, this weekend. Thanks again for listening and give us any feedback you got or any questions you have for that weekend episode. It was uh, really fun to kind of go off board and we're looking to do that a little bit more as we progress towards the end of this season. Yep. Thank you for listening. All right. Have a good one, everyone. And let's go Devils. Go Devils.